0: and you just see it can you see that the fact that you are sleep deprived you are short tempered with your kids you are staying up after they go to bed and having three scotches or bourbons or whatever and sleeping poorly and then getting up and going to your side job all in the name of i'm supporting my family and you know, stopping by for a couple of beers on the way home, coming home, having another substandard dinner with your family when you just see it and you see that that isn't a great way to live. And once you can see it, now what are you going to do about it?
1: The First Responder Liaison Network is proud to present to you the Kitchen Table Podcast. where our guests come share their stories, their perspectives, and their message, talking all things leadership. Now, here's your host, Berlin Maza. Good morning, and welcome to The Kitchen Table, Episode 25. Our show is brought to you by the First Responder Liaison Network. The network is organized for the development, implementation, and ongoing support of mentorship and professional development programs, inspiring our youth and young adults to mature into engaged civic leaders, and resilient community sentinels. Music and graphics are brought to you by Chi Elephant Productions. And today on the show, we have Annette Zapp, who's a 20-year fire service veteran who holds the rank of lieutenant and owns Fire Rescue Wellness, a coaching business dedicated to elevating the mental and physical wellness of firefighters worldwide. In 2020, she served on an Illinois Senate task force focused on mitigating first responder suicide. She is a recognized industry leader in the firefighter health and wellness field, co-authoring the ISSN position stand on tactical athlete fueling and a proud member of the newly formed Associated Firefighters of Illinois Resiliency Committee. Annette Zapp, AZ for short, also hosts a Fire Rescue Wellness podcast. AZ earned a master's degree in biochemistry and molecular biology from the University of South Dakota School of Medicine. She's a National Strength and Conditioning Association Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist and Tactical Strength and Conditioning Facilitator and certified by the International Society of Sports Nutrition and the Society for Neurosports. She was an adjunct faculty member at the University of Denver in the Graduate Program for Sports Coaching and a frequent conference speaker. The real story is, AZ is a recovery biochemist who wandered into fire service 20 years ago and she never left. She found what broke her heart and thereby found her purpose. The fact that firefighters pledge their lives in the service to the public and yet no one has taken care of them while they die of complications of cardiovascular disease cancer, and suicide is unacceptable. AZ finds the research and resources and brings them to the fire service in a way that provides them the so what, now what. AZ owns and operates Fire Rescue Wellness and hosts the Fire Rescue Wellness podcast, which drops weekly on Tuesdays. Good morning, Annette. Thank you so much for being a guest on the kitchen table today. How are you?
0: Well, I I'm great and good morning. And you know, I'm going to apologize to your listeners in advance because uh, as I was telling Berlin before we started, I recently moved and I now live under a very small airport, but yet it seems to have international levels of traffic. So if you hear (laughs) airlines buzzing above, it's uh, just remind everything's fine. Everything's fine.
1: (laughs) Well, I appreciate that. And uh, it's so, it's so far, so like super quiet on your end. So uh, I think you've, uh, I think you're doing okay. So thank you again for uh, joining us today. And I'll start with this. So Manny Romero, Seattle Fire Department, wellness uh, health fitness coordinator for the Seattle Fire Department, challenged you in our, what we call the leadership challenge here on the kitchen table. And I've said this uh, in most of our episodes that the success of this podcast and the growth of this conversation and leadership, it goes to each leader that comes on the show and is willing to spread and help us spread by challenging other people in different industries, in different states throughout the nation. Um, And that's what helps us uh, get to where we're at and that's the whole reason why we're uh, we're here today and the reason why we've connected. So thank you, Manny, uh, publicly on the show for uh, challenging Annette Zapp. And I look forward to this conversation. Uh, so Annette, before we get going, would you mind sharing a little bit about Annette Zapp?
0: Absolutely. So I have my, what I call my official bio, very official, where it talks about my, the fact that I'm a lieutenant and a 20-year veteran of the fire service, and it talks about my credentials I have a degree in biochemistry, and I'm i am I'm kind of a collector of certifications. I really love to put myself in places where I kind of don't belong, and then I end up staying. And so I'm certified by the International Society of Sports Nutrition. Uh, I'm certified by the National Strength and Conditioning Association. All of that stuff is boring. What I really tell people is... I'm basically a recovering biochemist who wandered into the fire service and never left. And the thing that I saw very quickly in the fire service is that we take men and women. We take these civilians with these servant hearts who really, really want to help people. And then we sleep deprive them and we traumatize them and we give them zero resources for their I shouldn't say zero resources, but we give them very few resources in most instances for their own health and wellness. And so it quite literally breaks my heart that these first responders are dying from cancer and from cardiovascular disease and from suicide simply because they don't have the help that they need. So I started my business uh, around, actually it was around 20 years ago, I was working in the general population. And then around 10 years ago, I laser focused in the fire service. So I own fire rescue wellness and I do consulting work for fire departments, education. And then as you stated, I host my own podcast where I try to bring on kick-ass providers, scientists, um, whatever you will, and just give the fire service list. So what now, what, what do we do yes. with the information I just learned?
1: Yes, no, I love it. And, uh, you do uh, bring on kick-ass people because I've listened to uh, many. It's very interesting the the people that you do have on, and I think we could all learn a little bit about the people that you bring on to your show. I guess the question I have there is, was there at uh, 10 years ago when you started is when you started fire rescue wellness and the pod and the podcast
0: podcast is only uh, it's actually one year old, just over oh, right. one year old, ah, but the business is about the 10 business. years old. Okay.
1: Yeah. Like what was it 10 years ago that kind of started and just sparked that interest? And you know what I got, I got to do something to help firefighters. What, what, triggered that?
0: You know what, I think you probably have no idea what a good question this is. Uh, When I started the fire service in 2004, I was completely oblivious to what would happen to me. I was a previously super outgoing, super extroverted, loved to make plans with my friends, um, participated in things, and Very quickly after I got off probation, things just started to get really dark for me. I started to, you know, I'd still make plans with my friends, but then at the last minute I'd cancel them. Mm -hmm. I was doing a lot of sitting on the couch, vegging out, watching TV, mindlessly drinking wine, and all of a sudden a bottle's gone and I'm alone. And so I didn't realize that at the time. I consider myself a pretty smart person, but I thought depression looked like I can't get out of bed. I can't take a shower. I'm sobbing and crying. I can't function. I was a very, very highly functional depressed person, and I didn't even know I was depressed. And so for almost 10 years, that's where I lived. I lived in this state of fight or flight survival and depression, and I didn't realize what was going on. And I was lucky enough to be exposed to a speaker at my fire department who came in. He was from the Illinois Firefighter Peer Support Network, which Illinois was, I believe, the first state that actually had a peer support network. And he came in and he told his story. And I like to say that I stopped breathing when he started speaking because everything he was saying he was telling my story. And I just sat there and I thought, oh my God, me too. It's not just me. I'm not alone. And so the clouds kind of <laughs> parted at that time. And I realized I have a very, very unique and special skill set. I have all the human performance things, I have all those credentials. I have a lot of experience with strength training, with conditioning, with nutritional guidance, with all of those things. I also have the piece of, well, I'm a firefighter. And so people automatically sort of give me more credibility because I've done the job and I understand it. And so that's when I realized I have, um, I call it a unicorn skill set. I have a skill set yeah. that not a lot of other people have, and I need to do something with it. So that was kind of the pivot between I'm not training youth and adolescent athletes for their hockey skills anymore I have really much more important work to do
1: Wow that's uh wow that's a uh, that's a whole lot there Well first of all thank you for being a little vulnerable I guess the question I have on that is you said it was shortly after probation is when you kind of start falling into that I guess quote unquote dark place was it if I can ask it was that do you believe it was kind of that first year ish of the fire service that got you to that point? What was, you know, cause obviously, you know, that, uh, you know, we do have um, firefighters that struggle with all kinds of, whether it be, you know, depression, anxiety, or, you know, PTSD throughout a long career in the fire service. And whether we admit it or not as firefighters, we, a lot of things that we struggle with is because of the job. It's stuff that we see or we're sleep deprived. We don't eat well. We don't, the high stresses, you know, mentally, physically, emotionally, all the above. Is did that would you say that was kind of
0: what got you there? It was it the was it the job? I think there's a couple different pieces to it. The first one was I grew up um I am the product of a generation when things were just different. Okay. So I'm almost 53 years old. I'm going to be 53 years old in a few months. Things were just different. I, when I started the fire service at 33 years old, I was lacking a lot of things. One of them was emotional intelligence. One of them was conflict resolution. Mm. And then I was just becoming financially a little bit more savvy, but I was lacking those three things, like very much lacking in those three things. And so I wasn't the first woman at my fire department, but at the time I was the only woman. And so I got hired with a large group and it was pure survival for that year for all of us. It's probation is that's what it is, or that's what it was. But on day 365 of probation, when all of the men in my group got to breathe a sigh of relief Yay. I made it through probation. I no longer have to work so hard to prove myself every single day. Um, I can relax a little bit. I'm part of the team. As the only female at the department. I never felt that. And I'm not sure if that came from inside or outside. It's probably both, but I was never able to breathe that sigh of relief. Like, okay, Mm -hmm. I've proven myself and now everything is good. So that's part of it. The other part of it was conflict resolution and the emotional intelligence when there would be some sort of conflict during the day I carried that with me I put every single conflict I ever had in this pack that I felt like I had to carry around When I wasn't emotionally intelligent enough to know that we think you and I could get in a fight and I could say f you and you could say f you and come back the next day and just start over. To me, that relationship was damaged, spoiled, and it was over. And there's yet another person who doesn't like me. Mm-hmm. So those things, the, the pressure that either was from inside or outside, I don't know. And again, it was a combination. And then just that lack of general human skills made life really hard for me. Wow. So I think that's that was the yeah. issue.
1: Wow. And on this show specifically, we've talked about things you just said. Emotional intelligence, conflict resolution. In the academy, obviously, and in, in, in the career in the fire service, so we get taught those hard skills, right? The, the throw ladders, the full hose, let's do all this for 15, 19 weeks, whatever it is. Then you go on probation, what do you do? You reinforce those skills that you learn in the academy, plus you go run calls, this and that. But nowhere along the way do we teach our firefighters, our, our employees, our, our personnel, conflict resolution, right? We don't, we don't teach, you know, handling your emotions, you know, self-regulation, self-awareness, stuff like that. And then, so when you mention this, it's like, I'm sure you've heard the term predictable is preventable. And it's like, we know we need these things as humans and especially as firefighters. So, I mean, and and then you mentioned, and this was in 2005-ish, 2004, right?
0: 2004, I got hired. So I was off
1: probation in 2005. And even in, even in today's age, like I've, I've been a part of recruit academies the last several years and, uh, we're, we we have, we've got hiring classes of just, you know, one female still to this day, call it surprising. I don't know to our listeners. I may be surprised. Maybe it's not to some, but it, 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 it I think you're speaking to a lot, even to this day. And I think we, and I, 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 I applaud you for, um, for now, a very successful business, I'd say, with Fire Rescue Wellness. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of people that you uh, inspire. So the question I have on that is, I know you said this quote quite a bit, is surviving isn't thriving. And and that's so true. Uh, whether we're talking about our own personal life or our life in the fire station, is like me just meagerly getting by the day each day is not, not only is it not good enough, it's not healthy.
0: There's a the second part to that quote, but I have a fantastic virtual assistant. Her name is Lex. She's amazing. She runs my website. She takes my brand photos. She just she's amazing. But she's like, maybe I don't think you can put the second part of the quote on the website, And I'm going to tell you what it is. Ah,
1: perfect. Thank you. <laughs> what is it? I'm um, <laughs> so
0: surviving isn't thriving and not dead is not the same thing as kicking ass.
1: It's true. It's such a that's exactly right.
0: Right. Just because you're not dead doesn't mean you're kicking ass.
1: Yeah. So behind that. Yeah. I was gonna say, because behind that you are, you mean something and you're talking about getting people to thrive in what they do and just
0: living each day is not good enough. So, so what I realized during, I, I kind of affectionately referred to it as my decade of darkness. So that sort of 10 year period in the fire service where I was just not dead, but I sure wasn't kicking ass. When people are depressed, there are sometimes, and of course I don't know a statistic, but it's a very thin line between I'm depressed and I'm useless, I'm hopeless, I'm a burden on society, my family would be better without me. It's a very thin line. And once you cross that line, things are exponentially more serious. But when I was in this decade of darkness, I never considered, I never had suicidal ideations. I never considered that the world's going to be better without me. I'm considering ending my life. I never had those ideations. And so after I got out of that decade of darkness, I did a little self-reflection because I'm much more emotionally intelligent and intelligent in general than I used to be. I did a little self-reflection. I was very honest with myself I said, Annette, what made the difference between someone who is profoundly depressed and has suicidal ideations and you? What is the difference? And what I came to was this. I had always had good sleep, hygiene, um, good, I guess I'm kind of searching for the words right now. Mm -hmm. I knew the importance of sleep. I knew that when I felt like crap, I needed to put myself to bed. I knew that when I was melting down, I needed to get some sleep. I knew that when I was up all night, things the next day weren't going great. So I always knew the importance of sleep and I always, always emphasized it. Number one. Number two, I always took least reasonably good care of my nutrition. So I wasn't someone that went out to eat all the time. I wasn't someone that lived on a diet of French fries and deep fried food. I always... Had reasonably good attention to my nutrition. That's pillar two.
2: Yeah.
0: Pillar three, I always had since high school a regular exercise routine. So, always doing both cardiovascular training, strength training, stretching, yoga type exercises. That's pillar number three. I do believe that those three things managed to keep filling up my cup when it was draining so quickly from the bottom. So those are three of the pillars that I kind of teach firefighters about now. And then there's one more that I was completely lacking, but I still did okay. And that was the mental health, the mindfulness, the meditation, Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it, seeing a counselor, that is the fourth piece of it. And so now I I founded Fire Rescue Wellness on those four pillars in that order, sleep, nutrition, mental health, and movement.
1: That's, uh, that's, that's awesome. Got a question. Do you, uh, did you see a counselor back then? There is a reason I asked that, but say two thousand four, five, six, and those 10 years of those dark years, did you see a counselor?
0: I made one attempt. I took advantage of our employee assistance program. And at that time we were allowed three sessions, no questions asked. And then, you know, you could maybe get a few more, but yeah. At the time I went to see him, the biggest struggle that I perceived I was having was my femaleness in this male-dominated field. And so after I spent 45 minutes of my first hour trying to explain to him what a firefighter is, what kind of a schedule we work, what kind of stressors we see, after I spent the 45 minutes, then his advice to me was, he said, well, I think it really comes down to this, Annette. I think you need to read this book. And this was his recommendation. This book called Why Men Love Bitches. Say that one more time, why men. Say again. Why Men Love Bitches. Oh, wow. That's a book. And I was, wow is so far beyond how I felt at that Uh moment. I didn't even bother um, buying the book because I went and I read like just the little paragraph about it. And I was like, this guy does not have this. He, he doesn't have a blue, right. But instead of me going, Oh, okay. That was kind of a bad experience with one counselor. I should maybe try on another pair, like a pair of pants. I should try on another counselor. I was like, absolutely not. This is complete and utter BS. I'm never going back. Hmm. So that was my experience with counseling. And then after sort of, I was coming out of the decade of darkness and realizing like, oh, this is what's going on. Because once that light bulb came on, my life changed. My yeah. life absolutely changed. That would also have been another great time for me to go, I go see a counselor. Yeah. But I was still back in that, like, yes. focusing on my previous experience. So I honestly did not start counseling until 2020.
1: Wow. Because yeah. of that
0: bad experience.
1: Yeah. So the reason I ask that is uh, we've talked on this show and we've had, we, we've had a, a mental health counselor on the show and the stigma around mental health, especially in the fire service is, has always been there. I think it's getting better when it's becoming more culturally acceptable, but only kind of still, right. There's still, you know, so many out there that, oh, I don't need to see counsel. I first saw a counselor back in 20, I don't know what year it was, eighteen seventeen 17, something like that. It went a few times. Okay. Yeah. It's helped. But then more recently, because of a recommendation from um, an individual, I've been going very regularly once a month, you know, for the last year or so, we'll say. But it helps. Number one, I guess uh, uh, what we're saying is it it helps. It helped me. So in your case, you said in 2020, and I'm assuming you still see one regularly. I guess now the question I ask is, does it help you? And is it something that you kind of uh, would hope that others would take advantage of, regardless of you know why wait till you why wait till you're you're struggling with something before seeking help it's like why wait till you're 50 pounds overweight to start exercising why not just not be overweight by 50 pounds in the first place right like is uh so i guess proactive in your own mental health it's a rhetorical question but did it help you and obviously speak to others out there and why they should seek help
0: yes it helped me and i will come back to that what i tell people cuz i I have one of the greatest, I call it one of the greatest honors in my job tasks because I get them. I only get them for an hour, but I get all of our new employees for an hour and I talk to them about mental health and I talk to them about sleep and nutrition. But the thing I tell them is I want you to go not in a year. I want you to leave today and go start trying on counselors and find someone you like. And then create a relationship with them and go periodically so that when the poop hits the fan five years into your career, you've already got your secret weapon.
1: Yes, agreed.
0: So initially I went to, there was a practice close by my work full of culturally competent, so to speak. Like they'd done some write-alongs, they'd done some work to to, to understand the fire server. So there was no explaining to them what my job is or what I have to do. They already knew that. And my first experience was, it was pretty good. She was a traditional cognitive behavioral therapist. And so we did a lot of talking. She tried the, yeah, I think it's EMDR, the eye movement. Oh, she right, tried that yes. with me. I wasn't good with it. I also think she wasn't good with it. I think it was a new technique that she was learning. And I was kind of a practice <laughs> subject. So I told her just I told her honestly, I don't like this. I don't want to do it. And so we just continued to, she was my person to talk to. And then during during COVID, so this was during COVID, she uh she got pregnant and she decided she didn't want to practice anymore. And I was very sad, like, oh, here goes my counselor. But actually it was a blessing in disguise because I found an amazing woman. Her name is Cody Todd, and she is. In the Chicagoland area, and she, I, I guess I don't even know what she, the the type of counseling she does. I don't know what it's called, but we talk a lot about the nervous system and how the nervous system is there to protect you. And the experiences that you have in your life are all sort of stored in the nervous system. And so at first, when I started talking to her, I was like, "Holy crap, this is." Voodoo, I'm not sure uh-huh. if I'm going to be uh-huh. able to do this. It's been amazingly helpful. So my advice to your listeners, find someone early. Yes. Make sure they're culturally competent. Confident, make sure absolutely. they know what's going on.
1: Yep. Thank you. Thank you. Because uh, when we had our mental health counselor on this show several months back, she said everything you were just saying. So all you're doing, you're reiterating everything that's that, that we know is true, especially regarding mental health. Like Culturally competent. Go early. Don't wait. And take care of yourself. So a follow-up to all that is... When did Annette Zapp realize she was now thriving and not just surviving?
0: That's a really good question. I think, oh, so my friend, Abby Smith Ryan's birthday is today. Ah. Abby is a researcher at UNC Chapel Hill. She's just one of the most amazing female researchers in the country. And one of her former students reached out and she said, will you write just an email or send maybe a text or whatever for her birthday. And I was like, absolutely. And so I, I was a little extra in my email to Abby today, but what I (laughs) told her was Abby invited me. Now let me back up a little bit. Katie, one of Abby's students, I had become friends with her in 2018, I believe it was. And so in 2019. I think I've had these years messed up. But anyway, uh Katie invited me to go out for dinner with Abby at a conference. And Abby actually inspired me to use my voice and trust my voice mm-hmm. to help the fire service. So after having dinner with Abby Smith Ryan, shout out Abby. After having dinner with her, I believe, in I think it was 2018, I decided I'm gonna say start saying yes to stuff. And a lady that lives local to me had been asking me for years to write an article for firehouse magazine and i kept saying no i don't have anything to say like no one's no one's want, gonna want to hear what i have to say i went home from having dinner with abby when i wrote the article when it got published in the fall of 2018. and then after that i thought oh my gosh i have something to say and people want to read it i guess enough to put it in a magazine i'm gonna just apply to like five conferences and hopefully one of them, just one of them will say, yes, come talk at our conference. So I applied to these five conferences during, to be held in 2019 and the letters sort coming in. Wow. Every single one of them was yes. Wow. Yes. And that's, I think that's when I realized 2018, 2019, I had something to say. People needed to hear it. And I think that's what sort of started giving my life a lot more meaning. I love my job. I love what I do, but I don't receive a lot of fulfillment from going on fire and AMS calls. I don't, but I receive a lot of fulfillment from helping firefighters.
1: Wow. That's awesome. (laughs) Thank you for sharing. That's a, I mean, yes, firefighters need help. We do, whether it's our own peers, whether it's counselors, Uh, we need help. And whoever, has the capability of putting themselves out there to help somebody, but it also takes some humility for firefighters ourselves to take, to accept help, you know, to, if, if we're struggling, we've got to admit, but then we also have to be willing to take advice, to seek help, to, you know, to become more well, if you will. So this next part is goes along with everything that we just said is, How important, you know, we're in the service based industry. Yeah, the fire service, we're firefighters, we go out and we serve and help people when they are in need. Um, Inherently, that is uh, being a servant leader. So with that, sometimes we, I'll just say we're not selfish enough in our profession, we don't take care of ourselves enough. So how important is showing up for yourself and talk to our listeners about how we do that more intentionally? kind of like how Annette Zap has over the last 10 years or so started showing up for herself to be able to help herself and in turn be able to help others more.
0: I think Cody Todd's going to be so proud of me right now because I'm going to use something she says to me all the time. She says, can you just see it? And at first I was like, see what? what are you talking about? But I'm going to say that to your listeners. Can you just see it? can you see that the fact that you are sleep deprived you are short tempered with your kids you are staying up after they go to bed and having three scotches or bourbons or whatever and sleeping poorly and then getting up and going to your side job all in the name of i'm supporting my family
2: hmm.
0: and you know stopping by for a couple of beers on the way home coming home, having another substandard dinner with your family and you just see it and you see that that isn't a great way to live. And once you can see it now, what are you going to do about it?
1: Wow. That's powerful.
0: Yeah. What are you going to do about it? And you can start really small because this is my sort of my bedrock. You have to meet firefighters. You have to meet anyone, but you have to meet firefighters where they are and so Berlin, if you told me, like, man, I want to lose that 50 pounds. And I said, okay, just, you know, sort of tell me about your day. And you said, well, you know, on my way into the station, I stop at McDonald's. I grab three sausage breakfast biscuits and an OJ and whatever. And then I go about my day. Then um, I look at my lunch that I packed and I go, that's kind of gross. And so then I head over to Chick-fil-A, whatever. So I listen to all of these things. Mm-hmm. And and by the way, I drink six full sugar, 20 ounce pep- Pepsis during the day. And then I stay up till midnight and then I do it all over again the next day. So I I listened to all of these things. And obviously, obviously yeah. your dietary intake is a huge problem.
2: Yeah. The fact
0: that you mentioned zero exercise is a huge problem. And the fact that you mentioned you're getting about four or five hours of sleep, all of those things are problems. But if I make a laundry list of all of these things that you must do a day, you might be able to do it for three days, like right. white knuckles, Yep. three days, drive by the McDonald's. I'm not stopping for biscuits today, Satan. Yep. Yep. But long-term, that's not going to yeah. help you. Yeah. So what little things can we implement to get the pendulum swinging in the other direction? Okay, yeah. Berlin, I understand McDonald's is your breakfast go-to. And you're having three sausage biscuits and an orange juice or whatever. What do you think about this? What if instead of three biscuits, let's just do two. And you do two biscuits. And so now we've decreased, I don't know, 350 calories out of your day simply by having two biscuits instead of three. That's a huge win. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: But first you have to see it. Yes. Can you see that what you're doing isn't freaking working.
1: Yeah. It's so... (laughs) And we've always said this. It's like sometimes these aren't, this is, it's not like, oh my gosh, it's something so dramatic. It's so impossible. No, it's, it's such a, oh, I love that metaphor. Can you, I mean, it's not even a metaphor. It's, it's literal. Can you see it? And if you don't, you will never get there. And so you just have to have, we mentioned it, some humility. So when someone says, Hey, what's going on with you? Oh, nothing's going on with me. Yes. Something is. I mean, I have enough humility to say, you know what? There is something going on. or And if you don't see these things as issues, that's, I, get, I think that's our biggest problem is maybe not so much that we aren't willing to make a change, but also that is a big problem for many of us anyway. But many sometimes we don't see as what we are doing is an issue until 20 years down the road. It's like, oh, I guess what I was doing was bad.
0: Well, and you always tell people this, your nervous system's job is to keep you alive. So let me give you some context. Yes. If a firefighter comes to me and he says, man, I just like my squat pattern is just so crappy. Like that's me. My squat pattern is just really crappy. And a coach could say, oh, well, your ankle mobility and you got to work on this and you got to work on that. You know what? For me, it's not my ankle mobility and it's not this or that. It's my nervous system. That's not granting me the ability to go through that range of motion because it's not safe. Your nervous system's job is to keep you alive. Your nervous system's job is not to make sure you have a sweet ass from doing squats. And so if you are on autopilot every single day, just trying to survive, your nervous system is like, it is now time to go to the McDonald's and get the regular. It's now time to go to the Chick-fil-A. It is now, mm-hmm. t- I am just surviving. And that's why you have to back up and zo- Um, I almost said zone out and zoom yeah. out <laughs> and look at it. Yeah, because we are zoned out. We're zoned out. We need to zoom out and see it. Correct.
1: Yes. Oh, thank you so much for that. Um, Can
0: I say one more thing? Of
1: course. Yeah, absolutely. Okay.
0: Let's just go to, um, let's just say you are drinking six of these like 24 ounce full sugar Pepsis every day. And that's just what you do. I would say one thing you could try is five, obviously cut down to five. But you could also try titrating. So perhaps I know if you like full sugar stuff, diet is gross. If you like diet, full sugar is gross. I I understand. But if you start titrating, so quote unquote, the concentration of your Pepsi down with some diet, so maybe when you're having the 20 ounce, well, a fourth of it diet, and then now a half, and now pretty soon you might be able to drink diet. Instead of regular, and I know there's some people out there going, whoa, 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 regular sugar is way better for you than that crap that's in diet soda. It's going to give you cancer. Regular soda is definitely going to give you diabetes. So pick your, pick your poison.
1: Right, right. Honestly, pick your poison. Yeah. No, and it's uh, and uh, you speak to a lot of us when we say it doesn't take extravagant. Changes to see changes, right? Start little. It's like, you know, you see the 50 pound thing. You don't have to lose 50 pounds in six months to be healthy. You can lose 10 pounds. You can lose two pounds in the next two weeks, and you are already on your way. Sometimes we focus on that massive goal that is so impossible and it frustrates us because we don't see those big gains, if you will. But focus on the little things. You said, you know, it's cut down from three to two. Maybe, you know, if you're eating out seven days a week, cut down to five and just start there. And then stay consistent because it's also got to be repeatable and it's got to be, you got to be able to stick with it, right? Those extravagant changes is, like you said, you might be able to stick with it for three days, but what happens on day four? is like, oh, well, you're back to where you started. So I'm going to, uh I'm going to circle back because I, I wrote this down and I didn't, I dare not miss uh, this because I, I love how you mentioned earlier. You'd love to put yourself in places where you feel like you don't belong. Like I was not going to let that go because we talk all the time about being uncomfortable in our space to grow to grow mentally physically emotionally in our job and our personal lives whatever it might be it's so important for our listeners to understand that being uncomfortable is okay not only is it okay we should put ourselves there if someone else is trying to put us there that's okay too let's allow ourselves to be there but intentionally putting your place yourself in places where you feel uncomfortable you feel like you're inferior maybe and even that's not even the correct term but i guess if uh it makes a point, but Annette did it. How did you get yourself there? How did you get to yourself to the point to say, you know what? I'm going to put myself in places I don't belong. Well, how did you get there? Because not all of us are there.
0: You know what? It's a character flaw for me, but <laughs> think about it. Not a flaw. I'm a biochemist. <laughs> what in the actual heck am I doing in the fire service? Like What, what right did I have to take the test That's... and go into the fire service? So that's one piece of it. Yeah. Now I'm a firefighter and I decide I'm going to go to this International Society of Sports Nutrition Conference. That sounds amazing. Now, to be honest, the first year that I went in 2016, I was still kind of in that dark place. So I went to all the talks, but then I hid in my room because God forbid I meet somebody, you know, yeah. like <laughs> I'm a stupid firefighter, but fast forward in 2018. I had the courage, same conference, to go out to the tiki bar and sit down by a guy that looked really smart and we struck up a conversation. And that's Dr. Andrew Jagum, who I just presented with at the American College of Sports Medicine Midwest Hmm. conference last weekend. Wow. (laughs) Andrew and I now collaborate on research. So from going to this conference where I definitely didn't belong, to getting certified with that organization to presenting for that organization and several times actually to now collaborating on research you just have to say yes to things figure that out later say Um, yes if you want to do it don't say yes to stuff you don't want to do
1: yeah
0: say yes and figure it out later
1: oh that's so powerful i mean courage go say yes and you never know what would become of it later on. That's uh, well, that's quite a story from a conversation to now presenting at a, at a national conference.
0: Well, and the other thing that, you know, I sometimes do have to remind my, my friends in the scientific community, because um, I've been asked to collaborate on some research papers now, which I, I do say yes. But also, sometimes I remind them, I'm like, you remember who you're talking to, right? I am a firefighter. And I'm like, oh,
1: yeah, but still do it. <laughs> and that's awesome. I mean, that's well, I'm. Gonna, uh, I got to lean on that a little bit because I didn't mention this at the beginning. I didn't ask at the beginning. So, biochemist to fire service. I, uh, well, how did that transition? How did that transpire? Like, why the fire service after, um, you know, all the extreme education you went through, and obviously a, a career before. Why? Why the transition?
0: So I'll try to tell the short version because okay. it is a long, long uh, story. But honestly, I always wanted to be a law enforcement officer and I had a very specific aspiration. I wanted to work in federal law enforcement, not the county sheriff, not the, you know, whatever. I wanted to work in federal. And due to the way the hiring requirements were in the late 90s when I was trying to get hired, that door kind of slammed shut on me. And so I was working full time as a health and wellness professional, and but also had these money scarcity issues from my childhood. And so, I don't know if you know this, but when you work in personal training, it doesn't matter if you work 60 hours a week for your employer, you're not full time. You don't get benefits, you don't get time off. If your clients call in, you don't get paid. And so, that was incredibly nerve wracking for me. I was making great money, Mm -hmm. but to know that I didn't get paid if I was sick for a week was very, very, it was nerve wracking. And so I started looking for another career where I would have benefits and a stable salary. And that's kind of how I found the fire service. There were firefighters that came into the club and here's the thing, Berlin, they told me all the good things about the fire service. Paid time off, yep, drive the yep. big truck, help people wear the cool uniforms, they the whole gamut. Yep. Not one of them told me the bad things about the fire service. And so I wasn't prepared. And yep. so now that's why if someone comes to me and says, yes. I'm thinking about being a firefighter, what do you think? I tell them the Down bad the things first, bad things first, yes. then the good things.
1: Yes, you're right. We don't advertise, if you will. But I think that goes to to what you're saying earlier is that's how we end up where we end up with struggling with depression, with sleep deprivation. Well, not even, we get, we sleep deprived from the, by the work itself, but the inability to to sleep, the, we stop exercising or we just don't exercise because of these bad things. And again, it goes to, we got to be honest when, when we talk to people, let's, let's keep it honest. Like people want to know, let's tell them the good side and the bad side. Do-it-yourself plans. You're very passionate about do-it-yourself workout plans in the sense that they don't always work.
0: Yeah, specifically in the fire service, if you're if we're talking about an individual, so yeah. Berlin is going to DIY his training. He's He's more than likely going to be fine as long as he finds a decent program. He's going to yeah. be fine. But the fire service administration's usually recognize the importance of being physically fit, usually recognize it. Some of them, some of the agencies even recognize that they should probably provide some space, equipment, maybe some time for their personnel to do some physical fitness training. But what they don't really wanna do is provide resources. Professional resources because they figure like everyone has a body. So they should be able to figure out how to work out that body. Just go run and do some push ups. And arguably, if you run and do some push ups, you're better off than the person that doesn't run and doesn't do mm-hmm. push ups or anything. But when you talk about a firefighter, you need to think about them. Let's be honest. You know, some people call us athletes. We're really not, we're not athletes but we should probably be treating ourselves like athletes. We probably Absolutely. should be yes, we doing should. physical fitness training. that's targeted towards the uh, skills, the skill set that we need. We should probably be, you no, know, we should definitely be emphasizing our sleep. We should definitely be emphasizing our nutrition, our recovery, all of those things. And just because we have a body doesn't mean we necessarily know how to train it effectively. Just because we all eat food doesn't make us a dietitian. And so a lot of departments grab onto this whole, like, we're going to do it ourselves in house. Like, oh, Berlin, you look like you're in shape. Mm-hmm. You work out a couple times a week. You're now in charge of the fitness program.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Like you go, you go make sure everyone's fit. Yep. It doesn't work. It doesn't work for a couple of reasons. First off, Berlin, probably, although he does well for himself, he probably doesn't know what the hell to do for everyone else. Right. And because he works there, he automatically doesn't have any credibility.
1: <laughs> and
0: what happens when someone gets hurt doing the stuff you told them to do? It's your fault.
2: Yeah.
0: And so this whole emphasis on the DIY is just, it blows my mind. Yeah. And there's such a better way to do it. There's such a better way to do it. Departments are really scared because it must. Money, yeah. Oh my god, it costs money. Well, you know what? Even with a minimal intervention from a good professional, it's gonna pay for itself at Mm -hmm. a minimum. If you pay that professional fifty thousand dollars for their services, you are going to save fifty thousand dollars
1: somewhere else, somewhere down the road. Yes,
0: yes one less severe back injury because the person had been training or whatever Mm -hmm. so even if you barely cover the cost of it who cares it's the right thing to do you need to do it yeah so there are departments out there south metro in colorado is one of them they have a whole human performance department
2: yeah
0: physical therapy uh athletic trainer strength and conditioning coach dietitian mental health professional on staff doctor they have it all and departments out there right now are going, oh, no, oh, no, we could not do that. Well, yeah, I get it. They have like 800 or a thousand firefighters. I yeah. get it. Yeah. But you could have one professional, one professional there to help your people. Mm-hmm. And here's the other caveat. So I manage, uh, it's a pretty small department, 76 members. I manage their health and wellness program. They know, they know I do their fitness testing they know they can come to me at any time for a program to talk basic nutrition, to talk. I have a little ouchie. What do you think? They know, but unless I'm physically in the building, they don't ask. Yesterday I was doing fitness testing and this guy came in and I'm like, wow, you look, you look great. What's going on? He's like, well, I've been tracking my food and I've been working out a little bit more. And he shows me his tracker and he says, What do you think about these macros that this this app assigned to me? And we had this conversation where, you know, I ended up sending him a whole bunch of information, but he had been doing that for two weeks and didn't reach out and ask me because I'm not physically there all the time. Mm -hmm. So being physically there matters. It matters.
1: Yes. Yes. it In everything. Now, I mean, obviously, and exactly what you're talking about, being present physically, in any, whether it be physical, you know, your physical fitness, your mental wellness, mentoring somebody, being present physically matters. So I love that. So you mentioned you're in an in a organization with 70 some members. Your department supports it, obviously.
0: This is not my department.
1: Oh, sorry. This uh-huh. is, a department this is the department you work for. Or sorry, there's the department a department I- that you work with. Sorry, yes, okay. The department
0: I contract with because interestingly, although these two departments border each other, m- I'm not a subject matter expert at my own department for the same reason I just told you because I work there. Yes, it's like it's like asking your dad. Oh no, dad's not a good example because dad always knows. Yes. It's like asking your brother.
1: Dad, dudes, they do always know. Yes, they do. Yeah,
0: it's always that, know. That's like, but it's like asking dad. your brother. <laughs> yes. you know, what do you think about underneath my car hood? Even when he's a mechanic, you're gonna then verify it with yes. a real
1: mechanic. Yes. Yes. Oh, that, that's such a good point, and it's so true. The funny thing. I I say funny, funny because firefighter stories are they're, they're comical because the no matter the story, there's some truth. We can always find some truth behind it, so we laugh about it. But you're right, you're totally right. It's like you're a subject. I had a, a training officer tell me, you know, a few months back. He's like, you know what you do when you want to be, you want to go teach somewhere, just drive 100 miles away, and now you were a subject matter like expert five. in anything you want. Now five miles, there you go, five miles. Oh,
0: five, only five mm-hmm. miles. There you go, only five miles five. away.
1: But uh, but that's awesome. So I I love the fact that there are organizations out there that will accept, put money into, and that's what, that's my next piece here is, you know, they'll, they'll put money and they'll vest in outside individuals to come assist them with whatever it might be, wellness, fitness, both nutrition, what have you.
0: I am absolutely a pro- proponent of training in the fire service and training hard, both job task training and physical fitness training. But there is this emerging thats right thing that I see uh, a lot of it on Instagram, of not only coaches but also firefighters doing things in their fire gear fit, physical fitness training meaning burpees jumping jacks concept 2 rower riding the bike they're doing it under the the umbrella of i'm getting fit for my job but what they don't understand is yes they need to be very very competent moving in their gear doing their job tasks in their gear but riding the assault bike while you're wearing your gear does not effectively prepare you for your job. It would make so much more sense to do your strength training and your cardiovascular training and your mobility training in your physical fitness gear, and then go do some freaking job tasks in your gear to actually get better at your job. So that's the soapbox that I'm sort of on all the time now. And there's two reasons. The first reason you're exposing yourself to carcinogens unnecessarily. But even absent that, let's pretend the gear was, um, it had nothing in it. It had nothing in it that would cause any sort of problem for us. Training in your gear is not the most effective way to train. And so I I spoke earlier about me being in places that I shouldn't be. Well, here's another place that I, I sort of budged my way into I incited a riot at Oklahoma state university. And now there's a lab there. That's going to be actually doing a research study mm. on physical fitness training in your gear and demonstrating. Okay. Is it effective? Is it not effective? So uh, that research study is starting soon. Thank you, Jay Dawes.
1: Yeah. Oh, thank you. Um, we will stay tuned uh, for those studies because uh would like to learn more. I'd like to learn more. And you said Dawes. Wow. That name has come up. That was a, uh people are your greatest assets. You mentioned that, you know, everything else is a depreciating assets. That's kind of like, yes, we know that. Um, but yet we still struggle to put our money where our mouth is. We'll just say, so this is rhetorical, but I'll let you run with it. Uh, we need to put money into better wellness programs or not just better into some form of wellness or fitness program. Where do we start? Uh, and let's You're even at- say, let's say organizational, but let's say individual as well. Like an individual needs to take it upon themselves to say, you know what, we have a program, but I need to put myself out there and and go ask for help, go get help, right? Sometimes we don't even take that first step. And I'll use myself for just an example. It's like, yes, I'm a I'm a, a fitness professional as well, and I, you know, I'm actually a strength and conditioning specialist through NSCA. I'm a health and fitness instructor with ACSM, and but I seek help all the time. Like I'm I am, a, we'll say, an expert, but but. Yes, but no, like I can always, and I always use the example. I'm going off my tangents here. So I'll, I'll use like a LeBron James. I'll use a tiger woods. I'll use a Floyd Mayweather, right. In their professions, they all have personal trainers, right? They're all at the peak of their industry in their sport, physically, mentally, all the above. They all have nutritionists. They all have personal trainers. I am certain that they can be fine and be in tip top shape, physicality and all that by themselves but they don't they all have their experts as well because they know those experts will help them elevate wherever they currently at so i always believe it doesn't matter where you're at you could always utilize somebody's a program of some sort and it will help you elevate where you currently are so that was a story and the question was um how do we how do we get there we need fitness and wellness programs in our fire stations how do we get there
0: I always like to say that I truly believe that fire departments should take responsibility for their members in terms of they should provide uh, space, equipment, time, expertise, programs. They should provide those things. But absent that, you as the member can't just throw up your hands and say, well, they're not going to do it for me, so I'm just not going to do it. So, at the personnel level, you need to, I believe, just find someone who can assist you with getting started with a basic program, maybe with accountability, with some nutrition. And I truly believe that whatever level you're at, let's say you're a true, true beginner. If you're a true beginner, maybe the other guy at the kitchen table does have enough expertise to help you, but once you're not a beginner anymore, you need a true professional. So you got to have someone that's at least 10 steps ahead of where you are at all times. So the department should provide resources for you, but if you are the member and you're not getting the resources, you've got to seek them out. And I always say, A registered dietitian is a great place to start for help with your nutrition. I would make sure that that's a sports dietitian, not just Mm -hmm. Mabel, who has been practicing for 86 years at the local hospital, a sports dietitian. And then instead of just a personal trainer, I usually look for, like Berlin said, a certified strength and conditioning coach, because they generally have better training and understanding the demands of sport. And technically firefighting is somewhat of a sport. But having said that, I like to use the analogy. We just bought a, it is a sexy, fancy new ladder truck. It is so pretty. We got it a year and a half ago and it was $1.8 million. And I was just talking to the Pierce rep recently. I was doing some prep work for a talk and I was in our maintenance shop. Pierce rep happened to come in, uh, not the rep, I'm sorry, the mechanic. And he mentioned that to replace that vehicle today is $2.4 million, 18 months later. So of course, we spend a lot of time and energy and money maintaining that sexy beast so that we get our good 10 years of life out of it before we trade it in. But that is a depreciating asset. The second we drove it off the lot, it started to depreciate. and mm-hmm. we're kind of savvy, we sell it before it depreciates too much. It still has good value. But sometimes, when you, sometimes, <laughs> but sometimes some departments keep them 20 years. We only try to keep them 10. That's awesome. So, but you can look at me and go, well, she's just a lieutenant. And if she hurts herself and can't come back to the job, we'll just replace her with someone else. Well, first of all, no, you won't because we can't hire people anymore. It is so hard to hire people. That's number one. Number two, she's just a lieutenant. She makes, you know, a little over six figures a year, like really not worth investing that much in. I would say, yes, I am. Mm-hmm. Because over the course of my career, I'm worth more than a ladder truck. Yeah, You spent more on me than a ladder truck. And at least to some point until I start breaking down, I'm an appreciating asset. I'm getting smarter, I'm getting better at my job, I'm getting more able to train new people, I'm worth more, I'm appreciating, so invest in me. Yeah. So recently, uh, we do great maintenance on our rigs, recently I had to go to the hospital in the middle of the night, not once but twice, on a fire company, because my medics took extra personnel, so we have to go to the hospital and pick them up. On the second trip to the hospital, we ran into another fire company that was doing the same thing. This is very odd. We don't do this very often and it was three times in one night. So we went back to the firehouse. A couple minutes later, tones go off again. We're going on a call, and my driver says, was that just our squad getting towed back to our maintenance shop?"
2: Oh wow, of course.
0: I, I looked and I'm like, yeah. It is. So the crew that we had just seen at the hospital on their way home broke down and had to get towed. But no one said this maintenance program doesn't work at all. We're not going to do it anymore because the squad broke down. We just carry on and keep going. Just, yeah. But a fitness program, if someone sprains their ankle or hurts their bicep or whatever, they go, oh, no, we're st- this, this thing doesn't work. We're quitting.
1: Uh, that's I can't think good, of it that way. Oh, uh, that's such a good point. It's such a, it, it's such a good point on, on, on the appreciating depreciating assets where you invest. And if you look at it long-term, yes. I mean, it's kind of one of those things we talk about and we don't appreciate it until we literally sit here and talk about it because yes, invest in your people. They are appreciating assets and yes, they will, it will be worth more. In the long run over any kind of fire engine or ladder trick, especially when you talk about the group of them, when you talk about a group of firefighters, a crew of firefighters, you're talking triple the amount of just, you know, you invest in a program that doesn't just serve one person. It's hopefully will serve everybody. So invest in me. So you mentioned invest in your people, which is awesome. So in your organization, and this is going that's uh, maybe a little bit away from the fitness side of things, but more just investing in people. What have you found? Yeah, because earlier you mentioned something like emotional intelligence, conflict resolution. You didn't have that. We talked about how organizations don't necessarily provide that stuff. You kind of have to get out there and learn it on your own, which we know not everybody will. But uh, has your organization invested, not physically in wellness programs, but in other ways in the stuff that I talked about, soft skill training and things like that?
0: I think that most of the skills that I, the soft skills that I've gotten, have been through things that I've gotten on my own. With that said, we have a new training officer. There's a new sheriff in town. Hmm. He's amazing, and he's more receptive to to leadership training and bringing in speakers. I know one of our lieutenants had been asking like can we bring in travis house and he was open to it unfortunately they didn't move quickly enough and travis is all booked up now until 2025 but he's at least (laughs) yeah yeah, he's at least more receptive to things like that that are a little bit non-traditional so i think that's you know that's amazing man just in a one-on-one conversation with him, he he gives like little life lessons all the time. So I think things are gonna improve on that front. Yeah. In the department.
1: Yeah. No, and I asked that because uh, I like to ask guest speaker So we have an idea uh, to our listeners what depart what our departments doing out there uh, regionally, nationally, because uh, what you know we 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 train on the things that we want to train on, right? Whether it be fire tactics or this, or that, or fire engine training, which is all necessary, right? It's it's obviously necessary, but we just like to see what other departments are doing and share those things. So how about this? What is non-negotiable to Annette Zap when we talk about being a, an effective leader um, in any shape or form?
0: Two things. I yes. don't have to. Two things.
1: Awesome.
0: Sleep. Because you cannot clearly function, cognitively function without sleep. So sleep is non-negotiable, non-negotiable. And the other thing is I don't allow gossip at my kitchen table. Mm. To me, there is no reason to be dragging other firefighters on other shifts, on other stations, dragging them through the mud. If you don't have something nice to say and you still need to say it, go say it to the person that you're gossiping about. And so one of my firefighters pushed back and he's like, yeah, but I tried that. I tried telling this guy he needs to pick it up or whatever. And he wasn't receptive to it. I said, I really respect that you spoke to him and thank you for that. But also what good is it doing you or anyone else at this kitchen table for you to continually just keep bringing it up? Yeah. So it's not, I don't try to create a Pollyanna experience, are great but i also (laughs) just not see the need to specifically gossip and talk badly about other employees i don't see the need
1: yeah i love that piece dragging down others like negativity is not doesn't do anybody any good talking about somebody bad it doesn't make us better it doesn't make anybody any good but we it's funny you mentioned that because uh you know go talk to that person go up to them Has that person been trained in conflict resolution? You know, so it's funny, we go in this full circle, like a lot, oftentimes we don't want to have conversations with others. Why? Because we don't know how to have adult conversations with people, right? Difficult conversations, crucial conversations. Um, But that's, uh, I I love that. And sleep, obviously. So here's a question on sleep. Uh, Our profession sometimes doesn't let us sleep. What do you do and how do we get better sleep, right? Because we got to go on calls or suggestions, if you will.
0: So many. First one is this. I, I completely understand. And I hear you when the lady in the ceiling, I like to call her the bitch in the ceiling (laughs) tells you, you have to go somewhere. You have to go. I understand that. So we don't have complete control and autonomy on duty, but then we also can't say we have no control on duty because we do, we do,
2: we do You have
0: control of what time you go to bed. Yes at most departments, I hope you have control of what time you go to bed. You have control of how much caffeine that you slugged down into your body that day. You have control of whether you moved your body or not. Uh, Research says people that exercise sleep better. Timing on that exercise might make a difference, but people that exercise sleep better. You can make sure that to the best of your ability, your dorm is cool and it's dark and it's quiet. You can have one of those crucial conversations with your person that sleeps next to you. Like broski, your snoring is keeping me up every single night. Please go get, for the love of God, go get a sleep study so they <laughs> can tell you you have apnea. So going to bed at a reasonable hour and all of you know those tips are going to be helpful on duty. There's also a program from 62Romeo that helps you go back to sleep. They teach you how to go back to sleep after you've been interrupted uh, to go on a call. So those are kind of personal things that you can control. There's things on an administrative and an engineering level. The administrative level is if your administration says you're not allowed to take a nap, your administration is asking for problems. You truly should be allowed to take a break and take a nap during the day. If your administration says you cannot occupy the beds before 8 p.m., 10 p.m., whatever it is, but you can go sleep in the recliners and snore and watch TV, that is not a great rule. We need to negotiate that. There's also engineering controls. So some stations have all of the tones going off in every station all night for all of the calls Mm. and the lights come on and that's just ridiculous. And of course, engineering controls are more expensive sure. to um, rectify, but there's something that we should be working on because you do not want a sleep-deprived firefighter driving two point four dollar two point four mm-hmm. million dollar letter truck.
2: Sure. You
0: do not want a sleep-deprived firefighter doing the drug calculation on your infant when they're sleep deprived just simply because their administration wouldn't allow them to take a nap, and mm-hmm. now they've been up all night.
1: Yeah, oh, that's uh, I've got a rhetorical question here, but uh, let's answer it. Uh, are firefighters stubborn?
0: <laughs> um, well, I think they can be,
1: yeah, oh, but also you. when you answer.
0: talk to them in a way that they understand in a way that makes sense to them, here's a perfect example. Yes, please. I can talk until I'm blue in the face about the importance of sleep. But you know what I know? I know it's their attention. I cite a study done at the University of Chicago in young 19 and 20-year-old men, which said five nights of sleep deprivation decreased their testosterone by 15%. Now, in those five nights of sleep deprivation, they still got five hours Now let's take that study and say, now you're 40. Mm
1: -hmm. Now
0: you've been sleep depriving yourself for 20 years.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What percentage is that? And they listen. Yes.
0: Then they listen. And I wanted, let me circle back really quickly to the, you know, you can't control the on duty stuff. Yes. You have to control your controllables, which is your off duty. So, you know, drinking a lot of alcohol off duty, it's going to disrupt your sleep. The same thing with the caffeine, the nicotine, You know, you need to, if you want to get seven to nine hours of sleep, you've got to go to bed in time to get seven to nine hours of sleep. Utilize your naps off duty. Uh, Make sure you're exercising. Make sure that your sleep hygiene in your room is adequate. There's so many ways to optimize off duty that can sort of mitigate and offset the on duty issues.
1: Yes, absolutely. And off duty and the control. I love how you talk about the controllables because again, we talk about that too is you have to control things that are under your control and you just have to otherwise someone else will control it for you but also um the off duty is obvious and the on duty is there's a lot of controllables too and sometimes we forget to to recognize it's like instead of binge watching you know something you could use that time like you said to meditate to take that nap if you're allowed right and and caffeine how many times do we see uh, us drinking caffeine at, you know coffee at 5 6 p.m. it's like well I didn't sleep much because we were up all night. No, we were up all night from, from midnight on. But just because you chose not to go to bed till 1130, the rest of us went to bed at nine 30, you know? So it's that stuff. It's like, sometimes we just have to recognize like what you said is, can you get a better workout program that will allow you to sleep better versus just any old workout program, you know? So uh, I love that controlling and the sleep. Thank you for, uh, for uh, really focusing on that sleep thing because you said earlier in the four pillars, I don't know if that was intentional, but I'm going to say it was. Sleep is the first pillar. I don't know if that's order of importance, but yes, it's, it's,
0: it is, right? Well, everything, I would say, everything gets better when you sleep. Yes. Everything gets better when you sleep. I also say, do you want to look better, feel better, play better, have better sex, do better on your promotional exam, be more successful, make more money, sleep. I Please. say that. But you also have to remember that sleep has an impact on your nutritional intake. And it also has an impact on your ability to do a good, meaningful training session. And it also has an ability to impact your mental head space, if that's what you want to call it. So of all the upstream interventions, I believe sleep is the most upstream.
1: I agree a thousand percent. So listeners out there. If there's one thing you take away, but please take away 10 from today is sleep. Find ways to get better sleep. Let's do rapid fire. Now, I know this might be redundant, but that's okay. Sometimes as firefighters, sometimes we need reminders. Sometimes we need to hear something 76 times before it finally hits, right? Um, and I say that jokingly, but, but not, right? I'm a firefighter as well. And sometimes hearing it multiple times, it finally sticks. But uh, let's offer some tangible things, action items that these individuals could start doing. Like we'll say today, tomorrow, they're going to say, you know what, uh, Annette's uh, message really hit home. Going to start doing it today. So three groups, the first one being newer employees. So people in the recruit academy, right? Recruit firefighters, probationary firefighters, apprentice firefighters, someone earlier in the career. As we navigate today talking about leadership, how can those newer employees – or what can they start doing literally today to start growing themselves in anything we talked about today or just simply being a more effective leader?
0: This is the least busy you will ever be during your FIRE career. Most of you probably might not have kids yet, are not married mm. yet. Maybe you even live at home still you haven't done all of the specialization classes that you're going to be taking in the years to come. This is the least busy you'll ever be. And so set yourself a good foundation. Go find that counselor sooner than later, and then start focusing in on your sleep and your nutrition and just moving your body every single day. Set that bar for yourself now so that when life gets busier, you've got that, you've got those habits in place habits are really powerful.
1: That's powerful. Thank you. All right. How about emerging leaders? So aspiring company officers, new company officers, mid-level managers, supervisors, and so forth. What's something that you would uh, suggest those groups of individuals do to also start growing as leaders?
0: There's a fine line between flexing the fact that I'm your boss and the fact that and recognizing the fact that everyone on your crew has something to bring to the table something important. And so being that strong leader while still you know recognizing that your skill set probably doesn't encompass everything that their skill set has and recognizing them as unofficial leaders too I think that can be really helpful. Here's a great example. One guy I got hired with him and for a number of years, he worked for me. He has a son that has autism. And so he is so, so perfect at communicating. We go on a lot of calls at an autism care facility. He is so, so perfect at communicating with those patients. I just let him work his magic and I step back and let him fine.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so, and, that, and that's powerful as well. Utilizing your individual strengths Tip for established leaders, chief officers, right? Battalion chiefs, deputy chiefs, division chiefs. We've had fire chiefs on the show. We've had mayors on the show, Uh, that top level manager of organizations or community organizations or so forth, something that they could do today, starting now to continue, hopefully continue to grow as effective leaders.
0: I believe you truly need to ask your people for what they need because you have more than likely been in your job long enough that you are detached from what it feels like on a daily day, day, day-to-day basis to do what we do. And so if it would be so nice if someone would just ask me, what do you need? How can we support you? How can we bolster your ability to do your job more effectively? And how can we make your life better how we make you want to come to work every single day? Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, <laughs> that's, I love that. Listen to your people. Ask your people. Yes, you are up here and you are um, more detached, but it doesn't mean you have to uh, be detached. You could stay attached by asking people and communicating, which I'm sure communication is, uh, is an important uh, characteristic for us all. So with that, leadership challenge. So at the end of every episode, uh, we do this leadership challenge. And I mentioned earlier, we're here today. Thanks to uh, Manny Romero of Seattle Fire Department who uh, made this connection and was the whole reason why we were able to have this amazing conversation about leadership today. And uh, so we ask every individual to call out or to challenge somebody else so we can spread the conversation further out, grow fire service leaders, grow the industry, and just help people you know, learn from one another. And that's what the fire service is all about. So I'll ask, Annette, is there somebody out there that you would like to formally challenge to possibly come on the kitchen table and share a message, a story, a philosophy on leadership.
0: This is the hardest <laughs> question you've asked me because I there's no way I can narrow it down. There's no way. So can I give? Can I give like a small laundry list of well, people? Well, yes,
1: you may. Uh, Manny gave Dawes, he gave Abel, and he gave yourself. I- so there's three. So yes, you may. Okay.
0: I endorse uh, Abel. I know you already are having him. I 100% endorse J. Manny's advisor, Dr. Brent Alvar.
2: Ah, Amazing,
0: amazing. Uh, Wendy Lund. Wendy Lund is a Canadian. She is a mental health professional who Ah, works with fire service. She's incredible.
1: Awesome. And
0: uh, I'm going to have to shout out also Megan Louts. Megan is the rescue RD she works for Fairfax County. She's a civilian, but she is the queen of meeting firefighters where they are and making nutrition tolerable. Mm. So I could also keep going, but I won't.
1: No, thank you. That's uh. see, that's the the beauty of this whole thing is when we first started the show is uh, we had some fire chiefs on, we had some deputy chiefs on, and then we had law enforcement and then we had a mental health counselor. And now we're going where we have, we've got authors, we've got just small business owners. And so, But leadership, as we know, is not contained to any certain industry. Leadership is characteristics, it's actions, it's things that we are doing. So when we gather perspectives and stories from other industries, from other people, it helps the fire service grow because we don't need more. Sorry, incorrect. Yes, we do need more speakers of the fire service talking to fire service leaders. Yes, but we also need other perspectives as well to help us continue to grow. So thank you. What I'll do is... uh. I've got a ton of names. I'll gather an email and I'll get that from you um, at a later date. Um, So let me finish with this before we close lasting leadership thoughts.
0: I think I'm just going to encourage people to try what I did. No places you don't belong. I love it. Be open to learning things. Um, Be open to opportunities and say yes and figure it out later.
1: Oh, that's, that's so perfect. Now, before I totally let you go, Annette, uh, would you mind sharing a little bit about the super exciting webinar that's upcoming that you're hosting, the 7-Minute Science? Can you share a little bit about that?
0: I am so excited you asked, and I'm happy to share. Uh, Drew Gonzalez is a PhD candidate at Texas A&M, and Drew and I have been friends for a couple of years, and he called me up one day, and he was frustrated. And he said, Annette, there's so many great labs doing research in firefighter science now, but you know, who's reading that research <laughs> are the researchers. Yes. <laughs> so we said, Annette, how are we going to get this information to the firefighters? Should we write a book? Should we make a website? Should we make a social media account? And I said, hold on, hold on, hold up. Why don't we do this first? Why don't we find out if people are even interested? So I did a kind of a question box on my social media and I sent it out on my email and the response was overwhelming. People are interested. So Drew and I recruited seven of the top researchers in the field and I gave them these parameters. I said, you get seven minutes. You cannot be boring. You cannot be dry. You have to be funny and entertaining. Please do not put up a graph and apologize because oh, it's too small. You can't read it. So (laughs) you have seven minutes to give the firefighters, the science, also the, What the heck do we do with this information? So there's seven of the researchers. I'm going to be the moderator. It's going to be one hour. It's totally free. November 6th at 6 central. No worries. If you can't attend live, you will get a recording afterwards. If you sign up that you can watch for up to two weeks afterwards. I would love to have all your listeners and your coworkers attend.
1: Well, absolutely. Well, I'm already, I'm already signed up. So first of all, thank you for sharing. So everybody, this is November 6th at 6 p.m. Central. Um, and so just a reminder to those on the Pacific coast that are uh, in my zone, that is 4 PM. And, uh, again, where would we find it? How do we, how do we register?
0: Well, I hope you will put the link in the show notes because the, That's I don't nice. have a tiny URL for yes. it. So, uh, if you would put the link in the show notes, otherwise, if you happen to follow me on social media, I'm screaming about it every day. So okay. you can find it in the link of my Instagram bio.
1: Well, there you go. That's uh takes me to my very next uh, piece here. I would be very, uh, remissed if I didn't close with this. How do we find Annette Zap? How do we learn more about what you do and the uh, conversation and work that you're spreading? In addition, that's also where we'll find the seven-minute science. So yes, how do we find Annette Zap?
0: The best way to get a hold of me is on Instagram. I'm at Fire Rescue Wellness. I know that's super, you're, you're shocked that that's my handle, but at <laughs> Fire Rescue Wellness. I also have a beautiful website, thanks to my girl, Lex Lancaster. My my virtual assistant, my friend, my, she takes all my photographs. She does all the things for me. And so the website is www.firerescueoneless.org. Dot com org. There you go.
1: So thank you so much again, Annette, for your time today.
0: And thanks for having me. I appreciate your time.
1: Of course. Uh, Thank you everybody today for tuning into the kitchen table. We truly hope that you found this time valuable and we hope that we've inspired you to take action to lead, and to spread the leadership conversation. Until next time, be safe, be intentional, and stay curious.